Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Federal Court of Appeal clears the way for the Trans Mountain Pipeline. So what the Liberals owe Canadians now is a concrete plan as to how they are going to address the outstanding legal threats and what they will do in response to the threats that remain of all the blockades to block construction. The government revives Ron Ambrose's bill on sexual assault law training for judges. From the very beginning, this has been really about all of the MPs in the House, no matter what political stripe putting partisanship aside and working together on behalf of all victims. And Canadians waiting to get out of China in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak are a step closer to coming home. Our plane is on its way to Hanoi. We will keep you posted as the plane lands and when we can stage what I call step two of the operation, which is to go from Hanoi to Wuhan. Uh, the reason why we stage there is because usually you get the permission to enter the airspace in China within hours. So based on best practice from our colleagues, we know that we need to have a plane ready, fuel, and with the crew on board uh, to be ready to fly in just when we get the permission. It's Wednesday, February the 5th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us. Yeah, well, thanks for calling, Mark. So let's talk about the court ruling about the Trans Mountain Pipeline, upholding the government's uh, plans, obviously. And uh, what does that mean in terms of where we go next? A legal challenge has been overcome, but uh, this is still uh, quite a, a public relations exercise for the government and for all the proponents of Trans Mountain. Well, it, it's it's become as significant a political issue as it is a, an economic development issue almost uh, now, Mark. I mean, because what it says is, uh, you know, it's a signal to the federal liberal government's, uh, you know, commitment to try to revive the fortunes of the Western oil patch. Um, but it's also become the focal point of anti-federal uh, uh, messaging out in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And, uh, and it's also a very important economic uh, project from, from every point of view. It's an immense infrastructure deal, um, and it has profound implications uh, for the environment and for, uh, and for relations with, um, you know, the First Nations. So it's a, it's a lot of punch in one project, that's for sure. Is it a done deal now, basically? I, I hesitate to ask that question because it's kind of like the, the new North American Free Trade Agreement, which is finally across all the finish lines. But it felt like we were always asking, when, when can we actually declare this complete? Is, is tra Trans Mountain effectively a fait accompli now? Uh, well, I would never go out that far on the end of a limb um, on that, Mark, because there is, you know, some of the First Nations uh, I've seen quoted are saying that they may try to uh, take another legal attack during the route or route um, um, process, you know, where they lay down where the pipe is actually going to go. So there's apparently another legal juncture for some of the First Nations to oppose it at that point. But, I mean, now there's a federal court of Canada ruling which says that, you know, consultation um, doesn't mean a veto. So that's the key thing, I think, that, that is going to be significant going down the road when there's other times when you have this clash of interests between um, industry uh, and the First Nations, um, you know, trying to, you know, guard and, and protect their own lands. So, you know, there's uh, still a ways to go. And, the, of course, the political issue is, is still as, as hot as ever, I think, you know, uh, 
does the federal government support the Alberta energy industry, yes or no? And that's a question, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, we'll give you the answer. All right, let's turn to Rana Ambrose, who was back in Ottawa yesterday. I know many conservatives and conservative supporters were, were hoping that if she was going to be in Ottawa in February, that it would be around her leadership, but it wasn't about that. It was about a bill that she had tried to introduce in the previous parliament and is being reintroduced now that would compel judges to undergo sexual assault awareness training. The Liberals are supporting this now. Ambrose is saying she wants all party support to finally get this uh, passed. Uh, where do you think this is going? Well, you know, uh, Ron Ambrose, who was kind of, for many people, the dream conservative leadership candidate, and as you uh, mentioned, decided not to run. And she said at the time that she wanted, she had interest in the private sector she wanted to pursue. And this is one of them, I think. I mean, it's not strictly a private sector matter, but it's a a personal um, interest of Rana Ambrose as something she feels very passionate about and has fought for. And uh, really is a little bit it's not really the kind of thing you ordinarily hear from you know leading lights of the conservative party this isn't really the kind of social legislation they would ordinarily be known for but there is quite broad support for this type of uh, uh, legislation and and what it does is it just you know keeps judges from from uh, perhaps anyway keeps judges from uh, making some really stupid observations and indulging in good old-fashioned sexism from the bench. So, um, you know, but it shows you, I think, to some degree, that Ron Ambrose can get stuff done. And if she had been the leader of the Conservative Party, would she have applied that type of energy uh, to those concerns? I think she would have. And, you know, I think this suggests she probably would have been a pretty darn effective person. Do you think it will get all party support? And I think it's worth asking that question. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of conservatives who support Ron Ambrose and would have supported this anyway. But yesterday, there was an Alberta MP, Arnold Viersen, who asked an NDP member of parliament if she ever considered sex work. He apologized for that afterwards. But once again, here was uh, a conservative MP uh, basically embarrassing the party on a day when another issue should have been taking prominence. Yeah, and if if you if you go and look at the tape, or if listeners go and and view the tape of this Viersen, Arnold Viersen, who uh, frankly I'd never heard of him before, uh, uh, his name popped up in this respect. But I mean, so smugly smirking over this this what he thought obviously was a brilliant you know touche moment uh, against a, a political rival, and and he just came off looking like a complete well sexist idiot, frankly, and that's how it's going to be read. And again, here's the Conservative Party in the midst of this whole uh, self-recreation and, and, and try to re-identify itself uh, with the Canadian voters. Uh, and this is the type of message it does not need to send to um, a lot of people who, who really aren't too sure where they stand on matters of like, you know, equal rights for men and women and, uh, and issues along those lines, too. So, uh, you know, this, this is a really unhelpful thing. So you have Ron Ambrose and her private uh, guys doing something which, which does, I think, appeal to a lot of people. And then you have this guy who is elected and is, a, you know, a member in good standing, I assume, uh, coming out with a, a dumb statement like that that he had to apologize for and, and make the party look stunned. 
All right, let's turn to the conservative leadership. Uh, Ron Ambrose, as we've discussed, is not part of it, but Peter McKay is the apparent front runner right now. Some people have already started calling this a coronation. There was a poll that came out yesterday from Ipsos for Global News that asked Canadians about their views of the four candidates, uh, of four of the candidates in the leadership race, including McKay, Erin O'Toole, and Marilyn Gladue. And about 40% of Canadians said uh, they would consider voting for the Conservatives in the next election if McKay were the leader. That was higher than any other candidate, which is certainly a feather in his cap if Conservatives want their party to return to power. Absolutely, and that's a, that's a good point. You know, I'm sure you discussed uh, probably in yesterday's show, you know, this faux pas uh, with the CTV interview the other day where McKay, uh, McKay's people interrupted an interview because they didn't like the way the questions were going and, and made McKay, it was an awkward moment for him. Um, you know, now this poll is going to bolster his chances again, I'm sure. But then I guess we should always remember in this situation is that the poll that matters is how the Conservative Party members think and what they consider. And they're going to take in uh, many factors when they decide on who they're going to support for leader. And I, I know there's a well-established and very vocal uh, part of the Conservative Party that's just saying, look, we got to get somebody who can beat Justin Trudeau. That's got to be job one. And so they're going to be taking polls like this very seriously. So, uh, but it's still quite a ways to go. Uh, you know, the, nobody's voting until June. So, uh, you know, there's lots more... Uh, polling and slip-ups and, and gains that could be made by potentially other candidates. All right, before we let you go, Dan, we should uh, touch briefly on the plans to evacuate Canadians from the effect, the area in China affected by the coronavirus. Uh, and we're hearing more developments all the time about the plans to bring those Canadians home. What's the latest on that, and what are your thoughts on how this is being handled by the government? Well, there's reports out today that they've secured the, the, the government has secured a second aircraft to go in there, and uh, you know I'm not on the ground, but what I've been reading today is it appears the Chinese um, are uh, in the process of okaying these flights. Um, I mean, it is a matter of tremendous complexity, as you can imagine, because you have. Uh, a, a, you know, a population almost as big as Canada is locked down and incommunicado with the outside world almost. And just flying in and out is a tremendous logistical uh, and political uh, issue right now. So, you know, um, I think that, you know, the Canadian government is doing it in the way it usually does is sort of working quietly away and trying to get these things done. But there is growing concern, obviously. Uh, among the families of people who were stuck in Wuhan and uh, in that part of China to get their, their people out, um, you know, before any more get sick. So uh, it is a race against time, and I think the federal government is proceeding really cautiously because they don't want to tip the Chinese politically one way or the other to make this whole thing more difficult. All right, great stuff, Dan. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. All right, we'll talk soon, Mark. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. When he said, well, you know, we might not license here, but we might license in this space. Why do we need to license anything at all? Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At globalnews.ca, Rob Breckenridge argues the government is sending unhelpful mixed messages on telecom and broadcast regulations. Breckenridge writes... 
We may be on the verge of a massive overhaul of these regulations, so it would be helpful if our government could articulate what it's hoping to accomplish. What we're getting is mixed messages on whether it's prepared to embrace some of the more contentious recommendations from a panel's deep dive into the issue, without any coherent vision of what a modernized regulatory landscape looks like and how best to unleash the potential of what Canadians have to offer. In the Globe and Mail, Robin Urbach argues, Peter McKay has ruined his own momentum. Urbach writes, McKay threw his campaign team under the bus when he claimed a tweet attacking Justin Trudeau over yoga expenses fell short of his personal standards of civility. His fidelity to civility must be new, since he made a similar quip in an earlier interview. This flub offers a glimpse into the emptiness of his campaign, which so far has been about echoing the consensus and blaming his campaign team for something he's been saying all along. In the National Post, John Iveson argues any suggestions of a coronation for McKay are premature. Iveson writes, The presumed frontrunner has stumbled in recent days, adding propellant to the smoldering anyone-but-McKay campaign building inside the party. His critics contend McKay's election as leader would blow apart the Conservative coalition. If he continues to validate the criticisms of his adversaries by being too ambiguous or out of touch with the grassroots, he may regret having left the genteel surroundings of his Bay Street law firm. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. A group of MPs and senators will reintroduce a bill today aimed at trying to fight modern-day slavery. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on that. Mark, later today, a group calling itself the All-Party Parliamentary Group to End Modern Slavery and Human Trafficking will reintroduce a bill which saw the light of day last Parliament, but which died on the order paper because of the election. During the last Parliament, longtime Ontario Liberal MP John McKay introduced his Modern Slavery Bill. His purpose was to propose Canadian legislation to monitor both governments and corporations in Canada which might purchase products from companies and corporations which use trafficked human beings or people working in conditions of slavery. Now, as rare as this may sound, it is not unknown around the world, and the sponsor proposed relying on international human rights organizations for their annual reports on such matters. Today, the co-chairs of the all-party parliamentary group, Liberal MP John McCain, Conservative MP Arnold Viersen, and Independent Senator Julie Miville-Deschaines will propose and table the new version of the Anti-Modern Slavery Bill. And this time, the bill will be introduced in the Senate. Their press conference is at 11.30 Eastern Time today. Thanks, Martin. Also coming up today, the Prime Minister will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period, and Northern Affairs Minister Danielle Van Dahl will speak at the opening luncheon of the Northern Lights 2020 Business and Cultural Showcase in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, February the 5th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.